the fact that God chooses to call us by name, the fact that God chooses to use us, to send us as ambassadors to share his love with others, such a beautiful and powerful thing. And uh, Catherine, as you get ready uh, to go in a couple of weeks, I think it's no accident uh, that the message the Lord has chosen for you is from Isaiah 43. And if I could pick one passage to give you as you go, to take with you, it would be this passage. Likewise, if I could pick one passage to give to each one of us, where we are in our journeys of life, and again, whether you never see the continent of Africa, whether you never leave Michigan, each one of us is on a journey. We're on a journey, and all of our journeys, they have ups and downs, they have successes and failures, They've got mountaintops and valleys. They've got times in which we're exhausted, times in which we feel inspired. There are times in which the mountain in front of us is simply unconquerable. There are times in which we get off the path and go our own direction. And if I had a message for each one of us, it would be what God has for us today from Isaiah 43. It is the most important message that I can share with you. Now you can share it from lots of passages in the Bible. I'm excited that the Lord has chosen Isaiah 43 for us today because it's the most important message in Isaiah. It's the most important message in the Bible. And it's the most important message in all of human history. And it's this, God loves you. And Isaiah 43 says that in such a powerful, poetic, and beautiful way that I can't wait to share it with you. So if you would, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 43. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. And in those Bibles, you just turn to page 589. 589, and all the way down on the right-hand side, you'll see a big 43. That means you're in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. There is a reason why this is many people's favorite passage in the book of Isaiah. There's a reason why this is many people's favorite passage in the entire Bible. 
And that's because while there are lots of different ways to say it, the central message of God's word, the central message of all creation is God loves you. And Isaiah 43 says it powerfully, poetically, and beautifully. And this morning we want to spend just a few minutes listening to God speak these words to our heart. And the way Isaiah frames it, when God says to each one of us, I love you, he's saying, you are mine and I am yours. You are mine and I am yours. So let's begin by looking at how God says, you are mine. Verse one, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, he who formed you, the verb for create and the verb for form are the Hebrew words from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where God creates the world and he forms human beings. And God says, I have created you and formed you. You are mine because I am your creator. I am the one who formed and fashioned you. And the powerful thing is, God did not need to create us. God is perfectly satisfied in himself. He exists forever, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not lonely. He's not looking for something to do. He did not create us because he needs us. He created us because he wants us. Do you understand the difference? God longs for relationship. God longs to know us. And he says, I formed you. I fashioned you. I created you so that we might be in relationship, so that you might be mine and I might be yours. He formed us. Sometimes I'm asked the question, what will, what will I look like in heaven? Will I be six foot tall and blonde hair and muscular build? And Some of you are like, I already am that. <laughs> Clearly that's not me. But when I get asked that question, I've discerned that behind that question is something else. It's a longing to look that way now. And some of us who look in the mirror and say, that's not ever going to happen to me, are thinking, okay, well, maybe for 80 years I got to look like this, but for eternity, I'm going to look like that. And that somehow we've had impressed upon us an ideal of what physical beauty looks like that is absolutely not from the Lord. But society has told us that if we looked that way, that if we had these features, that somehow then we would be beautiful. And so people ask, is that what we'll look like in heaven? So, okay, maybe now's not so great, but when heaven comes, then that real beauty will be there. And the answer I have to tell them, which is what I believe is the truth, is no. You will not look that way in heaven. And initially, that sounds like bad news. But it's actually incredibly beautiful news. The beautiful news is the answer to what will you look like in heaven? You're going to look like you. 
just in a glorified form. And you're like, I look at myself in the mirror every day. That doesn't sound like good news to me. (laughs) Here's the good news part. What will be different in heaven is you will finally see yourself the way your father sees you. And you will realize that he formed and fashioned you exactly the way he wants you to be. That he thinks you are absolutely beautiful because he designed you to be this way. He chose your hair color. He gave you that body shape. He gave you that height. He caused your freckles to look exactly the way they are. He gave you those facial features. He even shaped your toes. He thinks your toes are beautiful. (laughs) Crazy. And the beautiful thing about heaven is, it's not that there's some ideal beauty that you might become. The beautiful thing about heaven is, is you will finally see yourself the way your father sees you. He wouldn't change anything because he fashions you this way. You are to him the unique expression of beauty. And he thinks you are perfect. It doesn't mean he doesn't recognize our sins and our shortcomings and failures. That doesn't mean it. I'm just saying he formed and he fashioned you. And every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made and he knit us together. And we look exactly what he thinks the perfection of beauty ought to look like in our unique situation. And God says, you are mine. I created you. I fashioned you, I formed you. He goes on in that verse. Not only did he create us, he says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Not only did God create us, we are his because he redeemed us. He purchased us. My family likes to watch uh, the show Shark Tank. Some of you may have seen that program. If you haven't, it's a show where some wealthy entrepreneurs who are called sharks, not very flattering term, uh, they listen to sales pitches from people who want uh, them to invest in their company and their product. And I'm not sure what is so intriguing about the show. I just find it sort of fascinating. And one of the parts I like is when the people come out with the thing that they've made or what their company does, and they make their presentation and they talk about what it is that they do. And then at some point they say to the wealthy investors, something like, you know what, we're asking for $300,000 for a 10% stake in the company. And the sharks do kind of a quick calculation. They say, okay, well, you're valuing your company. Your valuation is $3 million. And then they kind of have a discussion, are you worth it? Is what you're selling, are you a good salesperson? They ask about their numbers, they ask about their marketing and all those things, and they're trying to make decisions about is this person worth investing in? And oftentimes they do. The really rare cases are when multiple ones of the wealthy investors all want to invest in that person, and they get into a bidding war. And sometimes you can even get a situation where one of those wealthy investors is sort of offering more than what the person was even asking for. And they're saying like, look, we think you've undervalued your company. We're willing to give you more money for that stake. Listen to what God says in 1 Peter chapter one. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, bought, 
from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And the idea is it's like you and I are standing up there on Shark Tank and we've made our presentation and it went really, really badly. And they've asked us about our numbers and our numbers are terrible. And even our own background and ability, our own interpersonal skills, they're listening and they're like, this is a train wreck. And every single one of the sharks takes a look at us and says, I'm out. And God steps in and says, I'll make you an offer. My son for 100% of you. And what you and I are supposed to do is pull out a piece of paper and try to calculate what kind of valuation does that give us? <laughs> if God is going to give the most precious thing that he has, his only begotten son, not silver or gold, but the very most precious thing that he has, if he's willing to offer his son to redeem us, the question is, how much does he value us? What kind of valuation do you and I have? Peter's point and Isaiah's point is God has redeemed us. We are his. He has said, I am all in on you. And the death of his son is the affirmation that all the world may tell us, no thanks, I'm out. God says, I'm in, I'm fully in. And in Isaiah, he reminds us, you're mine, I love you, you are mine. I created you and formed you just the way you are. And I paid the ultimate price so that I could have 100% of you. Not only does God say, you are mine, but in verses two to seven, he says something that really, to be frank, is actually shocking. Not only are we his, he is ours. <laughs> he is ours. What you get in this passage sounds more like wedding vows. Like when a husband and wife stand up here and say, I'm yours and you're mine, there is this vowing, this expression of love. That's what we get in this passage. And God is saying, you're mine and I'm yours. And in verses two to seven, God vows three things to us that shows us that he is ours. Verse two is the first one. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. <clears throat> when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The first vow God makes to every one of us is, I will be with you through everything. I will be with you through everything. Notice the vow is not, you will never go through anything difficult. God has never vowed that. In fact, the vow implies every one of us will go through deep waters. Every one of us go through hard valleys. Every one of us will go through the fire. But God vows to us on a solemn oath that he will not and cannot break. I will be with you. 
And the reason why Scott can share that testimony about Isaiah 43 in the midst of throat cancer, this is the passage. This is the promise. This is the vow. And when you get hit with that kind of news, when you are overwhelmed with that kind of struggle or difficulty of darkness, this is what we cling to, to say, God, you vowed you would go through everything with me. And he will do for you what he did for Scott, which is I'll be there in the radiation chamber holding your hand every day. You will not go through this by yourself. It will be hard. It will feel like you're in the fire. It will feel like you're drowning. But God says, but I'm yours. I belong to you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Never. You may think I'm gone. You may not feel me, but I will not go anywhere. I will go through everything with you, the good times and the bad. The second vow is in verses three to four. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. The second vow God makes is, I will pay everything to rescue and bless you. I will pay everything to rescue and bless you. I mentioned the show Shark Tank earlier. Another feature of the show is that when the people get on who are asking the sharks to invest in their company, they're often asked the question, well, why do you want us to invest in you? And usually the answer is, well, the reason why we want to sell a portion of our company to you is because if you buy it, then you've got skin in the game and you've now invested some money and all of these people are wealthy and powerful and influential in the world's eyes. And so the people who are trying to sell their company are like, hey, if I could get you on board, then I know that you'll use your contacts and your abilities and all your things to help me be successful. How much more God? If he has invested his son in purchasing us, how will he not through him take care of all things for us? If he paid the ultimate price to purchase us in the first place, he's all in. He is fully on board. He says, there is no cost that's going to come down the road that I'll say no to. If I said yes to this price, I'll say yes to whatever comes down the road. The New Testament says it much more eloquently than I ever could. Romans chapter 8. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You want to talk about power. You want to talk about influence. You want to talk about resources. We can't call him a shark, but this is the ultimate person to have God on your side. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also? along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, 
or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Life is hard. It's difficult. But in the midst of it, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Isaiah's point. Since God has paid the ultimate price to purchase you, there are no future things that will come that will cause him to back away. There is nothing that you and I will go through that he says, no, I'm not, fun- I'm not funding that. I'm not anteing up for that. He says, I will pay everything to rescue you and to bless you. Third and final vow, verses five to seven. Do not be afraid, God says, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God's third vow, I will go everywhere to find you and to bring you back. And those that you love. I will go everywhere to the very four corners of the earth to find you and those you love and bring you back. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us who are Christians are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. We're prone to wander into addiction, into sin. We're prone to be lured away by success, by technology, by the busyness of life. We get tired, we get lazy, we get distracted. God's vow to us is, no matter where you go, I will go to the very ends of the earth to come and find you. Catherine, I love for you that as you're going off to West Africa, God says, I'm gonna already be there when you get there. There is nowhere that any of us are ever gonna go that God will not come get us. Literally, on this earth, spiritually, in life. And God says, I'll come find you and those that you love. The reason why this passage is so powerful, the reason why, Catherine, this is the passage I want you to take with you, the reason why this is the passage that Scott held on to in the midst of that throat cancer, The reason why I all week long pray desperately, please, Lord, speak these words into our hearts is because here is the affirmation of the whole Bible. God loves you. You are his and he is yours. And whether you're headed off to West Africa to be a medical missionary or you're going through throat cancer whether you're a high school student about to graduate, college student off to head off into the next phase of life, whether you're moving to a new city, starting a new job, whether you're in the midst of a marriage that's falling apart, whether you are wholly addicted to a sin, 
whether you are mired in depression, whether or not you are absolutely confused about how life works, if you're dealing with a loved one who's dying, if you're feeling lonely and longing for a child or for marriage or for new friends, whatever situation you are in, please hear God's declaration to you. I love you. You are mine and I am yours. I formed you. I fashioned you. I created you. No one else may see your beauty, but I see it. I love it. I made it. No one else may think you have value, but I gave my son for you. Not just for the whole world, but for you. I summoned you by name. I called you by name. You see, when we become Christians, it's not like we meet God for the first time. Oh, hi, I'm Jim. You're God. Thank you for inviting me in. I'm glad to be part. Oh, Jim, nice to meet you. Welcome to the family. No, I've known you from the creation of the world. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I call my sheep by name. You were summoned by name, and he is saying to you, I am yours and you are mine. I will go through everything with you. I will pay every price to bless you, and I will go everywhere to find you. You are mine, and I am yours. Please hear God say, I love you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.